wouldn't take us a long time or a great effort to sit down and talk, and I would be surprised if almost every one of us in the room aren't dealing with something in our lives. A situation, a reality that we are concerned about, maybe overwhelmed by, and we need God to show up in very real time, in very real ways, to give us a way to know how to negotiate. This morning, we're going to be looking to God's Word to help us be reminded that Jesus is enough in the midst of whatever we are facing. My tendency is to try to figure out how to do life in my own strength. I, I wish that wasn't true, but it is. And not that God does not want me to be involved, not that God, God gives me wisdom and abilities and opportunities, so I'm, I'm an active participant, but ultimately, He is the one that enables victory to be the result, that it gives peace that passes understanding. That gives stability when everything is just crazy. We are going to, for the next two weeks, will be, which will be the final two weeks of my being the interim pastor here, which is as a reminder that everything, that where there's a new beginning, there's always an ending. And just think of anything in life. Think of all the things in life. For example, when a person is born, that's a wonderful, marvelous beginning. But it's also the conclusion of a pregnancy and, and planning and prayer and anticipation in many ways. When we get married, we go through all the hassle and for, for the guys, it's mostly a hassle, but for the ladies, it's this wonderful experience of planning a wedding and doing all that stuff. But uh, we, we, we go through that, and, and we, we have this new beginning, but we also have this ending. Graduation, we call that commencement. We're looking to the future, but we're completing. For the Christ follower, even death is that entering into to an incredible, new, better reality, but the conclusion is happening. And Bereans facing the same thing. Through a time of incredible transition, God has led us to Pastor Dan. And we are anticipating a, a wonderful, delightful, exciting, fruit-filled future, but we're bringing to conclusion a season of unprecedented change. No one anticipated, no one could have ever anticipated uh, the, the amount of change that Berean has gone through in the last two years, just off the scale. And you have been marvelous in that process. You have been faithful, you have been generous, you have been understanding, you have been patient, 
all those wonderful things uh, that people like you are able to, to do in the midst of uncertainty. And when we think we've got something kind of under control, under control, then the next thing whammed us, you know, just like one wave after another. You've weathered incredible challenges. Some of them I probably contributed in, uh, not probably, I contributed in, in making, and, and I'm grateful for your patience and uh, grace in that regard as well. And it's, I'm not at all suggesting that when Pastor Dan gets here that everything's going to be just easy you know, sailing, but, but an ending and a beginning. As I was meditating and asking the Lord to help me understand what might be the best way for, for me to conclude uh, my time of being the interim pastor here as far as preaching goes, uh, Hebrews 13 came to mind. Hebrews was written by somebody, but we don't know who. Modern scholars tend to think it was either a guy by the name of Barnabas or a guy by the name of Apollos. Under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, he wrote. And, and he was writing to people who were coming out of Judaism, hence the name Hebrews. Okay, These were people who come to faith, and their history was Judaism and and the book of Hebrews is, is just a long, wonderful, marvelous treatise on how Jesus is better. He starts out by saying, God has spoken to us in many different ways, but Jesus came, and he's the best revelation of who God is. And he, he talks about angels, and he talks about the sacrificial system, and he talks about the priesthood, and, and all of that. And when, when, when God is saying something is better, he doesn't say that over here, back here is bad. He's just saying that the new reality, which is Jesus, is better. It's a marvelous, marvelous reminder of who Jesus is. And so he comes to his, his final portion of this letter. He calls it a... Uh, Short letter, verse 22 of Hebrews 13. And we're going to allow that to kind of guide our thoughts this week and next. I would invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 13. We're going to read all 25 verses uh, together this morning. Uh, use the screen, use your Bible, turn your device on, scroll to that point, but, but Hebrews chapter 13. And regardless of the translation that you have, it, it's, they're similar enough that you will be able to follow. And we're going to invite the Spirit of God to speak to us and allow hearing it and seeing it, the Word, to have a greater impact on us. So out of anticipation for what the Holy Spirit might have to say to you, to me, to us uh, this morning, and out of respect for God's Word, would you stand please as we read this final closing chapter of the book of Hebrews. Remember the emphasis of the book is that Jesus is better. Keep on loving each other as brothers. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners and those who are 
mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have, because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It's good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by ceremonial foods, which are of no value to those who eat them. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no place to eat. <coughs> the high priest carries the blood of animals into the most high place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore, for here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking forward to the city that is to come. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others for which with such sacrifices God is pleased. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that the work will be a joy, not a burden for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant, brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Brothers, I urge you to bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written you only a short letter. I want you to know that our brother Timothy has been released. If he arrives soon, I will come with him to see you. Greet all your leaders and all God's people. Those from Italy send you their greetings. Grace be with you all. Father God, we ask that your spirit would be our teacher. We ask that you would give us ears to hear. Lord, you know where we are, you know each of our journeys, you know our particular unique situations, and you want to minister to us, help us to be open to whatever that may look like. Father, again, I ask that you would protect these dear people from an interpretation that I might have that is incorrect, an application that's inappropriate, Lord, we just can't make this stuff up, it's got to be from you and your word. We pray, Lord, that you would accomplish in our lives and through our lives whatever it is that you want to accomplish. And, Lord, we thank you that Jesus Christ is better. We thank you that Jesus is enough. And I ask, Lord, that we would be encouraged by those truths this morning in powerful ways. And that, Father, would be for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Remember, as we read this, that, again, 
the author is writing to people who had a strong history in Old Testament, who understood the sacrificial system, who, under, who, who, who were faithful, quality Jewish people. And so they had this, they had this whole culture that now they are moving away from. And he's wanting to reinforce that in these final words. And essentially, he's saying to them, Jesus is better. Jesus is enough. We don't need the old stuff. For example, verse 9. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teaching. It's good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by ceremonial foods. In other words, the, the old traditions. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. In other words, Christ followers now have a relationship with God that those, no matter how religious they are, even if they're Jewish, don't have the same opportunity. Jesus is better. Jesus is enough. Two fundamental truths are presented in the first six verses that help us to get a clearer picture of Jesus. I'm going to say nothing that is new at all. You've heard it many, many times, but the value is in being reminded because in your reality, in my reality, we need that fresh, yes, oh yeah, ah, that's true. I need to factor that in and how I'm thinking, how I'm feeling, and what I'm doing. The first is that Jesus will never forsake me. And I'm, I'm, using the, I'm using the pronoun me in this so that you will not just think, okay, Jesus will never forsake somebody. Jesus will not forsake you. Jesus will not forsake me. Verse 5. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. This is, this is the, a, a theme, a thread throughout the Old and New Testament. Whenever God calls his people, to do whatever God calls them to do, he reminds them that he is with them. He shows up in unique, personal ways. But he tells them, I'm with you. In Joshua chapter 1, where Joshua is now taking over the leadership mantle from Moses. Imagine being the guy that followed Moses. Yikes, talk about a challenge. Well, this is what God said to him. Joshua 1.9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Joshua, as you face terrifying things and, and even potentially discouraging things, don't, don't go there. Because I am going to be with you. In Matthew 28, at the conclusion of, of Matthew's gospel, uh, the disciples gathered on a mountain and they worshiped God and then he gave them what we call the Great Commission. And he tells them, go disciple people. And as you're doing this discipling, do these other things. Teach and baptize and those things. And then he says, at, at the conclusion of that, in verse 28, second part of verse 20, chapter 28, Matthew. And surely, when Jesus says surely, he means, I want you to really get this. This is important. This is absolutely true. Don't miss it. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You and I will never be anywhere That Christ is not with us. Dare I say, even when we make bad choices, God is able to work in the midst of that. Now, don't go out making bad choices just to test God. Okay? Jesus talked about that when he was uh, 
being tempted by Satan. You know, we don't tempt God, but, but just understand God, he's never going to forsake you. That's a reassuring thing. The second thing that the author of Hebrews reminds us in the midst of his, his teaching, concluding remarks, uh, is that, that Jesus will help me. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? He's going to help us. If he's going to help us, that means that he understands us, that he's aware. God knows, Jesus knows what's going on in your life and mine right now. The good, the bad, and the awkward. All of it. Psalm 118.7, the Lord is with me. He is my helper. I will look in triumph over my enemies. What are your enemies? What enemies are you facing right now? Right now. Let me just use a shotgun here and, and give you some possibilities. Maybe you've gotten a, a word that you're going to get lose your job. Maybe you're facing an, an, an unexpected, total, uh, uh, physical problem. Maybe you, you have a child that is far from God. Maybe your relationship at home is just deteriorating. Maybe the check engine light's on in your car and you're afraid of what's going to happen. You're facing enemies. You are, and some of them are huge. Some of them are still very, very annoying. Troublesome, can be distractions, can be discouraging. What are, what are you facing? Don't be afraid to, to, in your mind, boot up that screen and look at it and say, yeah, that's what's going on, Lord. I need some help here. And he will help you. We're going to look at four things that the passage focuses on. And it's just four out of the unknown number of possibilities. In Romans chapter 8, Apostle Paul's talking about salvation. But he, but, he, but he asked the question, what then shall we say in response to all of this? All these things that might get in the way. If God is for us, who can be against us? <clears throat> if he, God, did not spare his son Jesus, but gave him, Jesus, up for us all, how will he, God, not also... Along with him, Jesus, graciously give us all things. Now, the, ra the rationale here is incredibly powerful. Apostle Paul is saying, if God the Father gave his son so that we could be right with him, be reconciled with him, have a relationship with him, if he gave that much, he will give anything that we need. Verse 21, we read it already. Equip you. And this is the great shepherd, Jesus Christ, equip you with everything good for doing his will, everything that you need to do what God wants you to do, to face every challenge that you're going to have, because he is always going to be with you, because he is always going to help you, because he is enough, is the promise. If God is for us, who can be against us? I have a really good friend, they, they, he and his wife visited us this last week. Uh, and we've traveled the United States together. We've traveled the world together. Uh, and he's an incredibly bold man. 
uh, he, he will take, he will do things that I just cringe at, that he will actually do. And, and he has a statement that, that he has taken, he adopted it from somebody else, and, 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 somebody, and I'll say to him, are you really going to do that? And he'll say, well, what are they going to do, kill me and eat me? Which is, you know, kind of motivating and gives him some courage. But when the Apostle Paul says, if God be for you, who can be against you? That's much better. Because there are some times in history and in culture where people might, might shoot you, kill you, and eat you. Uh, but uh, so, he, you know, so his little idea might not work. But, but the, if, the, if it's true, and it is, if God is for you, what can men do? What an incredible thing. The Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Jesus is enough. Jesus is with you. He will never leave you. Things will not get so tough. The, the heat in the kitchen will not get so hot that he backs away. It will not happen. And he will always be there to help you. Always. It's incredible truth. Now, given that fundamental teaching about Jesus, the author of Hebrews gives at least four general areas that everybody struggles with. I, I find it humbling that the Word of God is so relevant and so uh, overwhelming and convicting to me. Four particular areas. The first is that because of who Jesus is, because Jesus is enough, I can love others. Chapter 13, verse 1. Keep on loving each other as brothers. He's saying, keep up. He says, you're doing it, but stay in there. Lean into that. Which means that he's aware of the fact that there are situations, there are realities in our lives, there are situations that might develop that will cause us to back away from loving one another. Brother, sister, it means we're talking about the same thing. Loving one another. In fact, when I get to a point, or if you get to a point, where I'm starting to think about a fellow Christ follower, where I think that that Christ follower is my enemy, and I am developing a real negative understanding about that person, and I'm believing some really bad things about that person, I need to ask myself the question, well, let's, let, let's first John tell us what to ask. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. A chapter later, anyone who does not love remains in death. You realize that if I get to the point in a relationship where I actually dislike, hate someone, I need to start asking this question. Am I really a believer? Because John says, if I hate someone who claims to be a believer, I have questions. I have reason to doubt whether I am a believer. It's an interesting thing. doesn't mean I like everybody necessarily. I'm going to go on vacation with everybody. But, but do, do I love them? Even the hard ones. Even the confusing ones. It's a tough one. It's really tough. But he can say, keep on 
loving each other as brothers because Jesus will never forsake you and Jesus will always help you. You realize that God is calling us as Christ followers to live supernatural lives. And he shows up, he's there. The second thing is I can be hospitable. I can be hospitable. I can share what God has given me to, uh, with other people. Verse 2, don't forget to entertain strangers, be hospitable, because some people have done it and they didn't know they were angels. He's talking to Old Testament people here. He's talking to people who understood the Old Testament, and there were numerous times in the Old Testament where they, you know, this, this person shows up and they entertain them, and oh, that's an angel. I don't know if I've ever had any interaction with an angel. I have no idea. Uh, but I do know that I have opportunities with lots of people. And this idea of being hospitable, Romans 12, practice hospitality. 1 Peter 4, 9, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Without grumbling. You ever, you ever gone to a, a, a someone's home and, and you have a nice meal, it's a pleasant thing, and, all of a sudden, and then and in the course of the conversation they start talking to you about how much the steak costs that they just gave you? I've had that happen. And in my head, I'm thinking, huh, boy, I'm sure glad I came. You know, be careful. In uh, Luke chapter 14, uh, I, I just invite you to read that at your leisure. Jesus is talking about hospitality, and he compares uh, hospitality of the pagans, of, of, of sinners, and, and he says anybody can invite somebody over and have a nice meal with them if they're trying to get something from them. In other words, if, if that person has the ability to give back to me, then I'll show hospitality to them. And he says, we should not be doing it that way. When you give a, but when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. I remember many, many years ago, one of the leaders in our church, where I was, invited me to lunch. And I thought, okay, sure, I, I like this, I, I like you, well, I, lunch is good. So we go to lunch, and, and it, we're progressing, and, and at a certain point in the thing, he starts to give me the Amway pitch. We were at lunch, so he could get something from me. That's not hospitality. That's not hospitality. Everybody does that. We need to be radically, radically different. I can do that. I can take the risk to give you part of the stuff I have to open up my house, to, to bring you in, because Jesus is with me and Jesus will help me. It just came to mind. Uh, for years, my wife and I, uh, I was on the chairman of the board of a local uh, social agency uh, that was a halfway house for recovering women addicts. And every year, we would have these ladies in the halfway house in our home for a big Christmas spread. And, uh, and, and one of the, the, every year, different you know, halfway houses are by nature transient people. Every year when we did this, somebody said this. We can't believe you are having us in your home 
and you just let us do walk around. You understand that, that every drug addict is a liar and a thief. Okay? And if you have any experience with that, you know what I'm talking about. And the fact that we would let them in our house and say the restrooms are up there, there's one over there, there's one down here, you can do, you know, and just, you know, be at home. They couldn't believe it. Hospitality. We're not that nice of a people. We just understand that Jesus is with us. And we're trying to be hospitable to them and, and trying to sh share the message of Jesus. Uh, and I'm not pat myself on the back. I'm just saying that, that, that when we say Jesus is enough, it enables us to actually live out love and it enables us to be hospitable. And then he, then he starts uh, getting into a very, really challenging area, and that is that we can be content. And he gives two categories of life in this passage. I'm just sticking with what's in the passage. Two categories of life that everybody struggles with, and they have struggled with these two areas throughout history, no matter where you live, no matter how old you are, no matter what your reality is, universal challenges, enemies, that everybody faces. This is how he sets it up. Oh, by the way, when he talks about remembering those in prison, verse 3, uh, he's talking about people that are there because of their faith. And he's saying be sensitive to them. The way we can do that today is to be sensitive to the persecuted church and be praying for them and be aware of, of the struggles that they have. That's another whole other topic. But verse 4, the first area he's talking about is the area of sexuality. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Now, how does that fit into this passage? He's saying, because Jesus is with you, because Jesus will help you, because Jesus is enough, you can stay sexually pure. Incredible thing. Psalm 119.9, how can a young man keep his way pure? How can an old man keep his way pure? How can a young girl keep her way pure? How can a young, uh, an older woman keep her way pure? By living according to your word. Proverbs chapter 5, read it at your leisure. A wonderful word picture. It talks about drinking from your own cistern, getting your needs satisfied from your own well. It's talking about marriage. Now, what does that mean for single people? That's a whole different topic. But let me just say, fundamentally, you and I can be sexually pure because Jesus is with us and because Jesus will help us. Because Jesus is enough. And the second is financial contentment. Verse 5. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. The marriage bed is to be content with your partner. Okay? Be content with what you have. Why? Because God will never leave you nor forsake you, and Jesus, the Lord, will be our helper. In Philippians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul teaches about contentment, and he does it in the context of money. And we're going to read a verse here in a minute that you have heard many times, you've probably memorized, maybe even quoted, but you understand in the context of Philippians chapter 4, it's talking about money. Philippians 4.11. The Apostle Paul is talking about offerings and sharing and all those kind of things. Talking about money. I am not saying this because I'm in need. I'm not telling you this so that you'll give me money. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. 
I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. Sometimes I've, I've been really without much, and sometimes I've had lots of stuff. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether we're well-fed or hungry, or whether living in plenty or in want. And then he says, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. You remember that verse, right? It's in the context of money. You see, every human being, you, me, regardless of our age, uh, as we you know, get certain maturity, is that we have trouble with our physical needs, our romantic needs, and we have trouble with financial issues. And it's powerful. And, and it's, it's a battle that we're facing. It, it's an, an enemy that we have to fight with. We can be triumphant. We can be triumphant because Jesus is enough. He will be with me, and he will help me. In Psalm 118, 7, it says, The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I will look in triumph on my enemies. This author, who is writing to real people who have a real history, who are dealing with the whole movement of what they've always known, what they've always been taught for generation upon generation upon generation, that now Jesus is the answer. Jesus is better. And he talks about that in so many different ways. He comes to the conclusion of his letter, and he says, I want you to know that Jesus is enough. Jesus will be with you. Jesus will help you. He's enough. So you can love others even when it's not easy. You can be hospitable, certainly not grumbling and with nothing expected in return. And you can be content. And then lastly, I can take risk. Verse 6. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? I will not be afraid. I will take risk because Jesus is enough. Now this gets really, really personal, as these others do as well. In Habakkuk 3.19, Habakkuk is one of the minor prophets. It's minor not because it's unimportant, but because it's short. Conclusion chapter 3, in, in the concluding chapter 3, says this, The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. It's a wonderful word picture. You've ever been in the mountains and you've seen mountain deer do their thing? How, how they just bound around and go here and they stand on this little place and it's like, how in the world can they do that? And they go over here without any fear. They do things that we just we could never do. Habakkuk says, that's what the sovereign Lord in my life, who is my strength, enables me to be like that. Sure-footed, incredible confidence. I'm able to enter into life and do things I never thought I could do. Let me give you some examples of what that might look like in your life. Maybe this is the year that you let your wonderful child free and say, go to the Dominican Republic and with the youth group. 
I don't know, I'm not going to be there. I can't you know, watch you and I can't protect you, but I'm going to trust that Jesus is going to be there and Jesus is going to help and I'm going to release you to go there. Big step for some of you moms and dads. Big step. Maybe this is the year that you say, I'm, you know, I hear about these mission trips they go on and Samaritan's Purse, great organization, and, and, and I think I'll go with the group going to the Bahamas. What a shame, Bahamas. Uh, but make no mistake about it, Samaritan's Purse is a high-quality organization, and you will be working hard. You will, you will go to bed at night tired but grateful that you have been there. I have friends that do this on a regular basis, and they all it's just an incredible experience. But maybe it's time for you to do that. Maybe it's time to go to Ukraine. Something else. I don't know. Maybe it's time for you to volunteer and, and help with the, another ministry here at church. I, I don't know. But maybe, maybe you've been just afraid. I don't have the time. I'm not good enough. I, 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 you know, I put my time in. How's that one? Oh, I've already done that. I'm, I'm in retirement now. Oops, don't say that. Not around me because I'm not going to like it. Uh, but who cares what I like, right? What can man do to me? I'm not going to kill you and eat you. Okay. okay. But, uh, but you know what I'm saying. We, what about tithing? What about giving? What about sacrificing for your, for your spouse? See, you just, if, if it's true that the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid and it is, then I can take risk. I can do things that I normally would not do. And while that's true as individuals, it's also tr true collectively as a church. There is an incredible history of taking risk. Keep it up. Don't, don't retreat. You're going to have a, a new pastor. One that we are confident God has led here. He's been vetted upside down, inside out. A lot. But he's still an unknown. You know, let's just be honest. He's still an unknown. Church planter from Alaska? Guy who was a biker in his younger days? A guy who worked for the United Auto Workers? Interesting fella. We don't know exactly what he's going to do, how he's going to act. We don't know him. There's some unknowns here. It's a risk, okay? But Berean, collectively, trusting God, being thoroughly biblical, don't hear me say anything other than being thoroughly biblical, we, we can trust, we can take some risk because Jesus is enough. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, Pastor Ken eventually will disappoint you, just like I've disappointed you. It's, it's inevitable. It, it, it will happen. It will happen. But Jesus is enough. And Jesus is with us. And Jesus will help us to negotiate those things and talk them through and understand and, and do what we need to do. Ephesians chapter 3. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus 
throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. That's the Jesus that's enough. And he's enough for the challenges that Berean faces collectively as a church. And he's enough for the challenges that you are facing as an individual and as a family. And he will be there for the next challenge. Verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Jesus is enough. I trust that as the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and speaks to you, maybe it has to do with your loving of others. Maybe it has to do with being hospitable. Maybe it has to do with being content. Maybe it has to do with risk-taking. And maybe it has to do with something totally unmentioned here, but certainly relevant. Jesus is enough. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He is your helper. And he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Father, thank you that Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior, came and died outside the camp, outside the city, despised and rejected, but became the ultimate, final, complete, perfect sin offering. Jesus is better. And thank you because of who he is. Each of us who are Christ followers can face the unknown because you know it can attempt the impossible because you are going to help us. <coughs> Thank you, Father, for how your spirit is and will continue to take your word and apply it to our hearts. Again, Father, for your glory, we give you the credit, we give you the honor, we give you the attention, we give you the fame. And ultimately, Father, for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus is enough.